Good evening and welcome to Pop Culture Double Date. Uh, tonight I'm joined by Gerald, Maggie and Anija, um, and I'm Darren. Say hello, everyone. Hello. Um, live life a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> well, as Gerald said, tonight we are in for a treat. We are talking about F9, the Fast Saga, what is probably more commonly known as the Fast and Furious 9. Um, now... It's going to be a pretty interesting podcast because um, amongst this group, there are two Fast and the Furious relative novices, um, myself and Maggie. Um, we've seen relatively few Fast and the Furious films. Um, and then we have a Fast fan, like an expert, who is Gerald, right? Who I believe has seen every Fast and the Furious film, if I'm not Everyone mistaken. <laughs> so yeah. F9, The Fast Saga. Um, Dom Toretto, um, who is Vin Diesel, uh, returns um, in a story. <laughs> it's a story, I guess. There's a lot of explosions. A lot of stuff happens during this film. I think it's some... They're, they're saving the world. There are a bunch of guys who are saving the world from some sort of device that will allow some bad guys to blackmail the world, I want to say. I, I think I think that's the premise. Now, I'm pretty vague about this because um, before we go around the table, I'm going to like kick off with the fact that I found this to be an incredibly confusing film on pretty much every level, right? Um, I was confused about the plot. I, there were times when the plot just kind of like zoomed by and I was kind of unclear what was going on and why things were happening. Um, I was very confused by the characters because this being the ninth film of the Fast and the Furious franchise, there were a lot of characters that kind of just came on and you were kind of assumed to know who they were. I didn't know if they were new, I didn't know if they were old, just like a lot of characters doing all sorts of things, right? I was probably the most confused about what genre of film this was. Now, the few Fast and the Furious films I have seen, um, my recollection of the Fast and the Furious is that its premise is basically about small-time crooks and policemen, or like agents, like federal agents or whatever. Um, basically, small-time crooks try to pull heists with fast cars. Right? And the attraction of these films was that, like, these small-time crooks had, like, hearts of gold, and so you were kind of rooting for them, and they had interesting heists that involved fast cars. And these small-time crooks were kind of involved in the underground drag racing scene, right? Or underground street racing scene. Now, I've seen Fast Five and Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, and both of these films seem to cleave somewhat closely to that genre. Right now, this film does not feel like that at all. This, this I have no idea what this film is supposed to be. Right, like the last time I saw Dom Toretto and his crew, they were like small town crooks. This film, they're like James Bond and GI Joe. Like I have, like I don't know what their jurisdiction is, but these guys are just flying around the world with like all sorts of equipment, and they're just like 
I guess saving the world like superheroes or something like that. It's super bizarre for me, and I am incredibly confused. Um, like, someone help me, right? Max, do you agree with me? Do you, were you also confused, or was it just me? Am I like going insane? Oh no no no! I I too was very confused. <laughs> Daz, um, I think the confusion would be compounded. Sorry, Maggie, by the fact that you had seen some of the earlier ones. Because you 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 know where the, the franchise starts and know where it's ended up now, there's a huge gap. Whereas if you're coming to this movie completely cold, you'll find the movie incoherent, but you might find it less confusing because you don't have something to to compare it to. Uh, well, I, I, can, I can talk from the perspective of someone who came in cold. Um, I I have almost no oh, um, exposure to the Fast franchise at all. And um, the only real movie I've seen that I, I understand I can't say is actually part of the franchise is Hobbs and Shaw, Spit Pit. Um, but um, I was really confused throughout the whole um, movie about the plot, um, about what was going on. There were times where I was concerned that Vin Diesel was also confused about what franchise he was in. Um, sometimes, particularly some of the action, it seemed like he was in Riddick. Or like put on that kind of that kind of um, action hero um, genre, um, and then there were some fight scenes where even though they were really spectacular, you know, the explosions and the big cars and the the um, the scenery all around the world, I just couldn't quite work out what it was that they were actually trying to achieve and what I what it was about the family that they were trying to show. Who is the family? And how is that that the brothers have never sort of, you know, met um, since um, they became estranged when they were younger? And then their sister somehow magically is there as well. I just didn't understand that at all. And then I didn't get how um, the guys ended up going to space in the car, but then nothing happened to them and they seemed to magically come back in one piece and there was no repercussions. So there's a lot about the movie that I just found deeply, deeply confusing. Okay, so... Can I? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go, go, please. I was going to say, can I just, like... Okay, first of all, it's been a while since I've seen it. Can I just have my piece, and then I will exit from this discussion, not, you know, figuratively exit from this discussion. But I, I get you, Mags. So I used to have this show I really loved called La Femme Nikita. In fact, we named our our second child after the TV show. Um, and I loved it so much I would watch all the director, like all the back, back, backstage stuff. And one thing they said was that when they shot the first few episodes, they would have these really intricate plots where a lot of stuff happened, right? And what they found is that the audience didn't follow those plots and didn't need to follow those plots. And so in the future, they would just shoot a lot of bull, which didn't actually make any sense, but still looked intricate. And that served just as well. And to me, this is like kind of, it's kind of similar. You don't really need to know the intricate, you don't really need to follow this plot. What you need to know about this plot is that there are the good guys, and that's Dom and his crew. And then there's the bad guy, and that's his brother and Charlize Theron. And then there's going to be a lot of action and fight scenes that are going to look cool. And in the end, everyone is going to be, like, you know, like, happy. So, <laughs> okay? Because ultimately what this has become is just 
action sequence after action sequence. They try to throw in a little bit of humor, but it's just not like it's kind of cheesy and it's stupid and it's not that funny. Um, because we haven't spent enough time with the characters developing them in this particular movie, not the whole series, but in this particular movie, to sort of care when they're, like, doing these jokes and when they're being funny, because they're basically randoms at this point. Even though (laughs) I have watched every single movie, I love this franchise, and I would never have thought I would be saying these characters feel random, because I know them. But in this movie, we spent such little time with them developing them that it was hard to care right it just it just it just saw little bits thrown here and there so um yeah the thing though like one thing that confused me as well was i didn't understand why they were the good guys it just they just are I, I understand. Like one plus one is two. It just, it just is. Why have they ever been the good guys? They are. They, they rob banks. They, 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 you know, crash cars. They steal things. Like they've never been like good guys in any moral sense. But they're the, the side we root for. Okay, they're the side in the video game that we have taken as our evidence. Okay, let's to that question. And you have to have seen. Furious Six in order to to get it because that's the that's the pivot point where they go from international, uh, you know, to working for the government heist. Yeah, it, from pulling off international heist to working for, um, basically the uh, yes, you know. Look, we can say they're the good guys because they work for the government, but you know, six movies they weren't weren't working for the government and they were still the ones we were rooting for. Yeah. So look, we root for them because we love them. We, not in this movie, guys. Not in this movie because we didn't spend enough time with any of them to feel anything for them. But in the franchise as a whole, we've kind of learned to love them and so they're our family as much as they are each other's family and we, we love that sense of family we get from them and so they are who we root for. That's all we there's our, our team. And then there's the villains, and then we're going to have a series of action, 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 action. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to be something you've never seen before on the screen. It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be out of this world. You know, it's going to be 20 out of 10 on the action, you know, Richter scale. And as for your question, Maggie, as to why did they go out of space and then nothing happened? Nothing happened because they realized, look, we've killed off quite a few characters in this show. We've brought every single one of them back. So we can't keep this killing off people shit like nobody believes that anymore why did they go to space because vin diesel said the only place our cars haven't been is out of space so maybe in the next movie they'll get we'll get there they just had to get there okay it was just they just had to get look i know i'm in the minority here because this movie has made over 600 million dollars since it was released so what am i to say about I know the action was spectacular, but it was like there was too much. You know, you've got to build up to things. You can't just all be bam, bam, bam. If everything is a spectacular action set piece, then nothing is because it just becomes the norm of the movie and it's too much, I thought. So this is my my real problem. Look, I have a few problems with it. I'm obviously furious that uh, Vin, is it Vin? What's Vin? What's Vin's name? Doctor Reddo. I'm so I'm furious that Don has a brother. Okay, you you do not get to be all family, 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 
and then never mention to us in the entire lifetime that we have been there with you that you have an actual biological brother. I know family is not always biology. It's the family you make and not necessarily the one. But come on, okay? I feel so like you must be joking. You cannot just change this character's backstory. That, that's clearly not his backstory. But worse than that, worse than that, Adija, is that... The way he Dom interacts with his brother is ridiculous. He he basically just goes up to him and says, "Oh, you killed dad." Doesn't give him a chance to respond or say anything, and just is like, "You're out." It's stupid. They basically <laughs> set up a situation where the crime of the brother would be so severe that it would justify Dom, a so-called family man, cutting him out forever. Okay, but. It had to be something that at the end there would be a misunderstanding so that they could come... <laughs> oh, it's so dumb. It's, it's so, like, contrived and stupid, and I couldn't get behind it. If they had developed the characters... Like, like um, Darren, you refer to this as the genre of the like movie. Initially, I was like, what do you mean? It's an action film. But I get what you're saying. Like, the themes, right? It's about, like, it's about this... It's about the small family and friends who pull off heists and have their amazing car skills and they're really clever with how they use those cars and they've got great banter and they care about each other and they've all got distinct personalities um, that get developed. So, you know, that wasn't there. And but they, that, that, they this film has it. none of that, though. What you just described, literally, this film has none of that. <laughs> they sacrificed all of that just to give us action scene after action scene after action scene. And I guess plenty of people loved that because it was very successful. But I didn't like it. Now, what I said about the brother is not the thing that I hated the most about this movie. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Also, so I don't love Han as much as Gerald loves Han. But I love Han. Okay, just not as much as Joe, but you know, I still love Han. So if you're going to bring Han back from the dead, which we were so excited about because we were gutted when he died, if you're going to bring him back, this movie has to be about that. The whole movie should have been about how and why Han comes back and what's happened to him. You know, when they brought Letty back from the dead, the whole movie was about that, you know, and how her character had changed because of the trauma that she'd been through and, and how they were going to bring her back, pull her back from that. And it should have been exactly the same for Han. And then I would have been all for it and it would have had all those themes of family and character development and all of that stuff as well as the action, you know, and then it would have been the movie that I thought I was going to get and I would have loved it. So I, had, in the end, have had more to say about it than I thought I was going to have. But that, that's, what I, that's what I think. So, I, I've just been happy. Anna can I ask you a question? Okay, yeah. well, I'll ask both Gerald and Anna this question. When Han comes back, there is that Asian girl who's with yeah. him. Is she new or old? Like, yeah. I could not tell, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She is completely new, and it is <laughs> bullshit. I, there are all these characters, because... Like, none of the characters, there's any time. I can't tell if they've been around for ages or they're just, like, completely new, right? Because I, during this film, I messaged Gerald and Andrew and asked, is Jacob Toretto new? Because the way he was introduced, I felt like he must have had some sort of backstory, right? He must have interacted them with the part, with these guys in the past. And basically, as far as I understand, Jacob Toretto is a completely new character, right? It's yep. so weird how he's introduced, and you just ex- expected to just accept, expected to accept everything. It, it's so it's so bizarre. Anyway, look, I'm, Jerry, you you clearly also have something important to say about this, so I'm gonna cede the floor to you. Well, as Rolling Stone magazine asked, 
when uh, it reviewed the one and only record that Bob Dylan recorded for David Geffen. What is this shit? Because this, I mean, I love this franchise. I love this franchise so much. I even love Too Fast, Too Furious, which generally is recognized as the worst film in the franchise. And this movie is significantly worse than uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, this is this is marginally better than Hobbs and Shaw, uh, but that's really not saying very much because Hobbs and Shaw, I don't even consider canon anymore. So this, this movie was infuriating because it committed perhaps the the unpardonable sin amongst Fast and Furious movies, and that is it was just boring. It was boring as batshit. I, I sat through this. I, I, I mean, you get to the very first action sequence quite quickly. The uh, the uh, the chase through the jungle in some unnamed South American country where they they are being um, you know hunted down by an unnamed military that's just referred to as the military. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I found that entire sequence really dull. And, and there's this long stretch in the middle of the movie where I actually don't think anything of any significance happens. Yes, um, uh, you know, sort of when, when Dom visits uh, the Helen Mirren character, who's the mother of, uh, you know, um, both the Shaw brothers, one of whom, of course, killed Han, um, that was completely random and boring. Um, and the entire sequence in London was, in fact, really dull. Uh, and and so I just thought to myself, I can't believe I'm sa- I can't believe I'm experiencing such such a gaping sense of boredom as I'm watching a Fast and Furious movie because it's it's never happened before. Um, and you know, I, part of it maybe is the fact that when an Earthbound franchise goes to space, as we saw with Moonraker, it kind of takes a bit of a dive in quality um but something was deeply deeply off um about this movie and i've been kind of thinking about it ever since and i i still for the life of me can't can't put my finger on why it is that can you know this every one of these films is ridiculous every one of these films um defies the laws of physics i mean this nothing that nothing that happens in this with the sole exception of roman and tej going to space in a Pontiac Fiero, there is nothing that happens in this movie that is com- completely beyond the realms of um, what has been set by way of precedent in the pre- in its prequels. So it's not that this movie is ridiculous or unrealistic in a way that the others have been before, with the sole exception of the Pontiac Fiero, which actually didn't feature that heavily in the movie anyway. What about the bridge? And then the- yeah, the bridge? Like... Yeah, the hey. look. I'm sorry, but in Furious Seven, Dom and Brian drive through two skyscrapers in, yeah. like, in the air. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. By out of the window of one, that's like they, high cr- up in the they air. crash through another, into the window of the other. and then they crash into a third. Okay, wait, so, wait. Like, Were they practical effects or all these? Because one of the things I did notice in this film was that, like, it felt like a lot of these effects. Things were CG effects rather than practical effects, right? I think that's what we can say is the mo- these movies have 
always been quite heavy on CG. Even yeah. if you go back to the original and you watch the racing sequences, particularly when they st- when they apply, you know, nitrous oxide and soup and, and, and zoom through uh, the streets of Los, Los Angeles and you look at the blur outside the car windows. Yeah. Obviously CG. It's it is even more CG in um in uh in um Too Fast, Too Furious. So it's not although there was a period in the middle in the middle set of movies that um that where there were more practical effects. So Fast Five I think was mostly practical effects and that final very spectacular sequence when they're driving through the streets of Rio dragging that bank vault mm-hmm. that was mostly that was almost entirely practical, but this you're right was very heavily CG. But I don't I didn't hold that against it because these movies have been very CG heavy for at least the last two or three installments. So that I didn't find that particularly galling or offensive. What I thought was a sign of the movies kind of going off the rails was when when Roman started referring to the fact that they were invincible and that nothing touched them. And that they, they they were never they there was not a single scratch in them, because that's what I thought the movie was like saying to the audience, we're gonna go stupid places here, and um, shrug emoji. Yeah, yes, I definitely got that right. That work for guys, we are gonna go very stupid very quickly, and shrug emoji is 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 how we're we're all gonna be explaining this. So, you know, Jerry, like, what you just said there, like, I, I was actually thinking about this film, right? And the one thing that I actually feel like, the the one theme of this film in my mind is actually that it's incredible. Like, as in, thematically, I think the creators were fully aware that this film is not about the theme of family. This film is about the theme of, like, st- just stupid action. Like, I don't, even, I don't even know how to describe it, but the theme is basically insanity right like it's just i don't care we're just gonna do stuff that's it right that's the theme of this film and and so when 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 roman says that and everyone kind of laughs at him i just thought this movie whatever whatever i mean americans don't do winking irony very well the best of times but this franchise has never been too much into into winking irony. It's actually been there's actually quite a level of Takes earnestness. Yeah. There's a level of earnestness like about that. all the movie about, <laughs> about all the movies up until now, and but and in Fast Five, for example, they really celebrated the fact that this was an extremely diverse group of people who sort of came together and called themselves a family. And Fast Five was like the high point of the series, not just be, not just that in a quality sense, but in the sense that. This was a, a movie that came out sort of mid Obama era, and you know featured, you know, perhaps the most the most ethnic, ethnically diverse cast in an action movie that Hollywood had ever seen. So there was a real wearing your heart on your sleeve earnestness about these movies um, that probably reached its zenith, in, including scene of Furious Seven with the sort of send off they give to Paul Walker. Whereas this time around, it, it felt more as if they were taking the piss and just, you know, throwing their hands up in the air and saying, well, you know, sort of go figure. Uh, and there was something slightly sort of, there was something slightly offensive about that. It was like, it was like the, the series had sort of relinquished 
a very important part of its DNA uh, in favour of sort of laughs and hijinks. But at the same time, trying to con us into thinking that there was something more here by giving by giving by giving us flashbacks into the Dom Jacob Mia backstory, which was odd, not just because amongst other things, young Jacob is so much smaller than adults. <laughs> but like the actor who plays young Dom is so much a better actor than <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, when that first flashback occurred, it did not occur to me that the actor who was young Dom was Dom. Because like he looks actually not ultra young either, right? So I was like, who is this guy, right? Yeah. He's got he's got an appropriately deep voice, but he can act. And we're like, what is going on here? You know, he was being given bad material to act, but he could act. There were like dramatic chops there, and I just thought, this is taking me so out of the movie because when did he become when, cheesy? Yeah, when did he become the, the, the muscle bone meathead, the, the muscle bound meathead that is Beam Diesel? Um, and so and they was, try the, to establish this relationship with his. Like, I don't even know if they try to rela- establish the relationship with his sister Mia. Because she doesn't feature in those flashbacks at all, right? It was absolutely ridiculous, and like, no, you do see, you do see me, you do see like prepubescent Mia in a couple of those scenes, but like, that's it. And um, and they don't really develop her relationship with Jacob. No, I I, mean, I thought she would be what brought him back to the the good side. I assumed that was how it was going to go down. But she holds out yeah. her hand to him in the end, yeah. right? And that's yeah. meant to. It's just <laughs> like. So yeah. And, and the, other, the other thing about the other thing about the the last two movies is look, great actress that though Charlize Theron might be. Um, not here. Not, not. I'm not feeling it when it comes to her place in this franchise. Yeah. She plays a character called Cipher, who's like this uber hacker, and she was the baddie in the last movie, and she's the baddie in this one. But her villainy is completely lame and passive. Like she, all she does is sit in a room with a <laughs> with a, with a, with a <laughs> keyboard or a joystick and just do stuff from do stuff remotely. Yeah. And so you, you're like, this is just kind of lame like in in the last movie all she did was sort of fly around in a plane and play around on a keyboard and in this time around all she does is sort of well the most that she does is fly a remote super drone uh fiddling around with a joystick she is such a non-entity in these movies i mean she is very aptly named as cypher because that's what she is in these films she adds absolutely nothing it's very obvious that she's there just to collect a paycheck and look good on her for doing so. So, can I can I ask you a question, Jerry? Yeah. Was the guy that Jacob Toretto was working with, the, you know, the rich, like, ambassador's son or whatever it was, was he from a previous film? Nope. No. No. Okay, okay, so that was not what I expected. I thought that he had been established, but okay, <laughs> I'll accept that. <laughs> okay. His view as well. Charlize Theron is returning, but she's only returning from one previous movie. So, in which she she sort of like made very little of an impression. She's made even less of less of an impression in this one. So, um, kind of like the Marvel movies, uh, <laughs> the Fast franchise is is kind of developing a bit of a villain problem, um, because part of the problem 
is I think that Vin Diesel's ego is so big that he refuses to allow the rock. these movies to give him a good antagonist. Yeah. Um, very, very famously, his relationship with Dwayne Johnson broke down uh, over the course of the last few movies to the point where even though they were both in Fate of the Furious, they didn't actually share any scenes together. Oh, wow. And they were meant to be on the same side. Um, and even more famous, well, less, fam- less famously, but more strikingly, during the making of Fast Five and Fast Six, uh, Vin Diesel inserted provisions in his contract which um, prescribed that no one was to, that he was to punch anyone he fought more than they punched him. (laughs) It was actually an onset, some weird onset bean counting contest between him and Dwayne Johnson as to the number of times they punched each other. Oh dear. Oh dear, what is going on? That would explain Rick in one of those scenes. You know, in that scene in the in their um, super secret spy chamber. Yeah, and, and look that that scene where Dwayne Johnson, where, where I'm sorry, where, where where Dom does the Samson pulls down the pulls down the pillars and drops himself into that pit of water. Yeah. You know, sort of Dominic Toretto doing doing something that biblical is, I think, a sign of Vin Diesel's ego completely running away with his movie. Can I just say that that scene in particular, like, for me, symbolises a lot of the problems with this film. Because that entire scene is this big action piece, right? And they build it up. Oh, my God, Dom is sacrificing himself for the team. Because, my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, because I was very confused by this film, but my understanding of the situation was that bad... Uh, bad guy had infiltrated their base with his team of a thousand dudes and they were going to get his team, right? Dom's team. And Dom was going to like, was letting his team escape and he was going to hold these guys off, right? So there's this whole like heroic music playing and he's like one man fighting like a thousand trained soldiers, right? But he's... This was the scene where Mags turned to me and said, he's basically become Riddick, right? Like, he's not Dom Toretto anymore. He's just changed franchises and he's playing Riddick, right? Um, and he's, he's more than that. He's, he's meathead. <laughs> right? Yeah, so he does that. But then the huge non sequitur for me is, okay, so he falls into the water, right? And survives this huge drop, right? Like, no one has any business surviving that, but he survives, right? And then the next scene, the entire team is just sitting in their base as if nothing has happened, right? And, like, they're just chewing the fat, right, in the base. The base looks like there's been no fight scene or whatever it is. They're just sitting around. And I was like, what what, what just happened? Like, so we went through all of that, and it was actually meaningless. Yeah, and he also, he also, he also goes into the, you know, sort of either the afterlife or his own memories... <laughs> And he confronts yeah. him, and he you know talks to his sees his father and stuff. I mean that was the Fast and Furious equivalent of the scene in Transformers Two when Sam Witwicky goes to Robot Heaven. <laughs> yeah, like it was so weird. There are so many scenes like this, so many action scenes that just lead nowhere. 
Right? Yeah. It's action for the sake of action. If you don't have a proper lead-up to the action set piece and then you don't have a proper pull-down, then it's meaningless and it's just... It's, yeah, you're right. It's, it doesn't have... It doesn't have any significance. Like, you don't really think of action pieces as having significance, but actually they do, right? They've got to mean something in the movie. They've got to be a high point in the movie. They've got to be, like, you know, the climax of the movie or something. They've got to have some significance. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I think the best action scenes are the films, are the scenes where you feel invested. Like, you think about the scenes that create tension. Like, what makes a good action scene, right? It's not actually just the explosions. It's a level of tension, right? So if you feel invested with the characters if you want the characters to win like that's what creates a good action scene i i I think about like really emotive action scenes that have worked for me like in avengers endgame there's a scene when captain america picks up the hammer and fights thanos right that is a cool action scene right not because it's i mean there's explosions and stuff like that obviously right but because like it's emotional it's like oh my god everyone is about to lose and captain america like picks it up for the team and holds Thanos off until, like, more health can come, right? There's, like, an emotional stake there. Like, here, it's just like, what? But I think it's also, like, even if it's not emotionally, you're not emotionally invested in it, an action sequence can also be memorable because it's, they're trying to do it in a different way or or, um, create a unique style, like in John Wick. And... You know, with that, it's memorable because it's very distinctive to John Wick. And with this franchise, you'd imagine, you know, Cars, Fast and the Furious, there'd be so many opportunities to actually create their own style, their own mark on action. But yeah. I don't... No, I, th- I, actually thought, I actually thought the action scenes in this movie weren't particularly spectacular. Maybe that's because they were all spectacular, as Adam yes. just said. Yeah, yeah, it's but... overload. But I actually think they were they were pretty late. <laughs> well, I mean, um, for instance, like the 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 movie's big big action idea was to to quote to quote um, Jesse of Breaking Bad, magnets, bitches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and like, but the thing is, the scene of all these these you know magnets causing cars to just masses of cars to just sort of like uh you know get up to all sorts of mayhem that had already been done in the previous movie where cypher the charlie theron character hacked an entire bunch of cars um in new york and and sort of makes them chase after like the crew and it's basically a zombie movie with cars oh wow okay. really cool. yeah. so i uh, we i'd seen all this before and arguably done better in the previous movie, which is kind of odd because the previous movie, directed by F. Gary Gray, who's not a bad filmmaker, but this one's directed by Justin Lin, who until now had been one of the best action filmmakers in Hollywood. So I just, it was one of those, it was, this was another instance of one of those things that I couldn't get a handle on. Why wasn't this effective? Like, the ingredients were all there. Justin Lin was back. They brought back Sun, they brought back Sun Kang to play Han. Um, you know the entire crew was was together, so it should have worked. But it was a very very bad misfire. I, I don't know whether it's bec- at, at first I thought maybe it's because Chris Morgan, who had written the script for every every single one of these since uh, Tokyo Drift, wasn't at the helm and writing at, of the right in the writers' room for this movie. <laughs> 
But then Chris Morgan wrote Hobbs and Shaw, so couldn't possibly be him. So I thought to myself, what was it about this? I, I, I'm still thinking to myself, what is it about this movie that was so off? And I just maybe maybe Anna just absolutely right that you know if you have so much meaningless action, then the entire the entire conceit of these films falls apart. Maybe, but. I, I maintain that, like, I, I've been thinking about this as well, right? Like, because, to be honest, with this film, there were moments in this film where I was not sure whether I liked it or I hated it, because it was so bad, right? It felt like the writing felt so bad that it felt like B-grade movie. And, you know, with some of these B-grade movies, it gets to the point that it's so bad it's good. There were moments in this film where I like, this is ridiculously bad and I'm laughing and enjoying myself, but I don't know if it's because of the film, right? If we hadn't been so, like, emotionally invested in the whole franchise, then maybe we would have felt the same way. But because we genuinely like the films, because we genuinely think they're cheesy but good, but genuinely good, like, to to have it be so bad it's good, no, that's, like, heartbreaking. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I genuinely felt like this film was played like a fan fiction right like it's kind of because fan fiction is kind of like fans love the characters but when you read well, i don't know if you guys have read fan fiction but like invariably in fan fiction it's kind of like some person is writing this and it's kind of like their ideal world but invariably it's over the top the characters are not true to themselves it feels like someone's writing these characters and it's like puppet suits of characters right like they're wearing the face of that character but it's actually not that character and here it's kind of like none of these characters have any substance they're just wearing the like the skin suits of like dom toretto and mia toretto and like letty and stuff right but yeah i think there's something something for that daz i think this movie was pretty heavy on the sort of meaningless fan service which is actually what the return of han eventually ended up becoming I mean, there's a at, at, the, at around the time the movie was released, there was an article in the LA Times about which featured interviews with Justin Lin and Sung Kang about the Justice for Han movement, and you know Justin Lin watching the last couple of movies and realizing they made Deckard Shaw Han's killer into a member of the crew, and thinking that's that feels really odd, and that's what brought him back to do another one of these films. And Sun Kang thinking, yeah, but <clears throat> we would like to sort of ensure that Hart isn't just written off as as something incidental on the pathway for Deckard Shaw to find redemption. So I think in the minds of those two individuals, they were doing something meaningful with the return of Han in this movie. But Han is brought back in such a peremptory fashion in a fashion that has so little weight that it felt more like fan service than like a quick quick hit of fan service than anything meaningful or substantial yeah it didn't it didn't give weight (sighs) to who he was in this franchise to have him just turn up eating some food like he used to you know and that's it yeah and and And, and and they found him because there was a mexican flag in an apartment in tokyo what yeah (laughs) And, 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 and 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 like you know, I keep returning to Roman saying, "Hey, guys, we're invincible," and I think that was that was the movie saying to fans, 
hey, we're not actually that dumb. We know what these movies are. We are as smart as you are, fans. So, like, we get it. This is, we get it, right? But, I thought it was like an F you to fans. No, like I don't we even... can give you anything and you'll take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eat this slop. Eat it. I actually don't think it's an F you to fans. I think it was sort of like, hey, hey, fans, we're as smart as you are, so we know this is ridiculous. So when we go somewhere really stupid, as we're about to do, just know that we know, we know that too. Which is a way of sort of kind of, I think, doing a misplaced act of fan outreach or... Not quite fan service, but fan outreach, which I thought was completely unnecessary. So, but even if you were going to do that, I look. I'll be honest. I found the dialogue between Roman and I don't know who the character's name is, but it's played by Ludacris, right? Yeah. So the dialogue between those two characters, I found it got old really fast, right? It got cringe. It was not well written dialogue, right? It was like forced humor. Right, I, I I hate to say, it, but it I I don't maybe it it eventually it was it basically had the sophistication of two guys shouting yo mama jokes at each other for like hours. Yeah, I, I yeah I I thought that I mean the dialogue generally in this film was not particularly well written, but like I I think they made a point that oh my god these guys are so funny look at their banter and the reality is that their banter is actually not that clever right beyond that meta reference to the fact that they're invincible like their banter I, I don't know about you guys maybe it's just me but I, I didn't really find that banter particularly funny no it wasn't good yeah which is kind of weird because it, it, it's been good in the past but it's it very has to be attached to character and development. very small doses yes it has to be attached to character development that's it can't be the, the only thing we see from the characters Otherwise, like, because the banter's not actually that good. It's because we like the characters that we laugh. It's like when your husband cracks a joke. It's not <laughs> laugh, but the husband's funnier, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I'm silent now. <laughs> I'm so hurt. Like, what do you mean it's not really that good? <laughs> so, okay, let me ask you a question there, right? So, the other thing that super confused me about some of the characters is that I have seen Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, right? So have we seen those Tokyo Drift characters since yeah. Tokyo Drift? No. So, so, uh, have oh, when, when Han died? Yeah, after, after Han dies in... For the villain. In Furious 7. Yeah. So is there a reason why they're rocket scientists now when the last time I saw them... <laughs> they were not rocket scientists. <laughs> Farest thing away from rocket scientists the last time that they could be. <laughs> yeah, so like, uh, so like, they, they were not rocket scientists. Um, the last time we saw them in Furious 7 was right after Han's death. So basically, the, um, the, the Lucas Black character, even though he, he was meant to be the same age as he was in Tokyo Drift. He looks so old. <laughs> 10 years older. <laughs> okay, I've got a question. Or, um, I guess it's for Gerald. Why do you think they felt the need to bring everybody and their dog back? Because um, I think Justin Lin has a genuine love for all these characters. And um, they are all 
in his mind now, um, members of the Justin Lin cinematic universe because <laughs> because you know you know I, I don't know if you you, you realize this, Daz, but the character of Han first appeared in a non-Fast and Furious movie. Oh, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> so before he was hired to direct um, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, Justin Lin directed a movie called Better Luck Tomorrow. Not a better tomorrow, better luck tomorrow. And it's this movie about these sort of Asian Americans growing up in Southern California in the suburbs and their lives going slightly haywire. And Han is one of them. As Han? As Han. Okay, okay. Justin has since confirmed that the Han of that movie is the Han of the Fast and Furious. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So, okay. So there is an extended, there is an extended cinematic universe but, but in this... which the Fast and Furious movies belong. And so Justin Lin has crafted, you know, this this mythology with all these characters. And so that's why he felt the need, I think, to bring them all back because he loves them and they're part of this more elaborate construct that he's been building over the last decade and a half. But this is why I say it feels like a fan fiction, right? Because in fan fiction, you bring everyone back, right? Every minor character that has ever existed, you bring back because, like, as a fan, you love them. So you write them into the thing. But the problem is, like with the Tokyo Drift characters, it's like you write them into this thing, but they're not the same characters. They're, like... People who are wearing the skin suits of these characters, but are fundamentally different, right? Like, I mean, that Tokyo Drift thing, like, were they still street racers last time we saw them? Like, I... Yes, yes, because, like I just said, Han had just died, so, like, we were still... Basically, the last time we saw them is about five, you know, sort of hours, days after the end of of, uh, Tokyo Drift. Yeah, so, and now, like, all of a sudden yeah. in this, they get introduced as, like, they're not... Because Tokyo Drift was about racing Japanese, like, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Japanese and, and, sports cars and drifting, right? Yeah, and I think we can safely say, based on, like, what the Lucas Black character has become in this movie, that the um, the Aussie per- the half-Peruvian Aussie girl, who's his girlfriend in Tokyo Drift, she's probably dumped his ass. Either either that or, like, they're comfortably middle-aged. Because I looked at Lucas... I love Lucas Black, okay? Like, I... Like, his career started in, like, American Gothic that I watched when I was a kid as well. I, I think he's... Yeah, I think he's actually a very good actor, right? But, like... He does. I think he might be in a minority of one. <laughs> I, I like him, right? But he... In this film, he looks like he's comfortably middle-aged, right? He looks like he's got, like, three kids and a wife. <laughs> That's what he looks like. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, uh, suffice it to say that something has gone horribly wrong um, between between The Fate of the Furious and F9. I know a lot of people kind of hated on Fate of the Furious, and so F9 didn't seem like such a come down in quality. Some people actually think it's an improvement on Fate of the Furious. Those people don't know what I'm, what they're, what they're talking about. Like, I found the Fate of the Furious an exhilarating cinematic experience so much that when I stepped out of the cinema, I, I posted on Facebook, the haters can go eat a dick. Fate of the Furious was fucking awesome. I had the complete opposite reaction this time around. I found it utterly deflating and demoralizing. Okay. So can I can I ask another question about this plot, right? 
just yeah. to clear my confusion, right? Okay, Derek. <laughs> yeah, I think you're kind of missing the point here, Derek. <laughs> okay, so, you know, at the height, height, I use in inverted commas, right, the climax of this film in inverted commas is technically when um, Jacob Toretto, John Cena, um, turns, right? Like, he becomes a good guy, right? Yeah. Can, can someone explain why his boss betrayed him? I, I don't understand. I, I, I honestly don't understand. Like, he was working for the guy. He was being paid for, by the guy. He was still on his boss's side. Why would his boss just betray him for no reason? I, I thought... George <laughs> probably say something different here. I thought it was because Charlize Theron got into his head. Remember how she, she kept saying to him, you're just a puppet? For Jacob, I don't know how anyone could believe that, but like that's what given that yeah. given that it's the other way around. But like, yeah, that's I think what she kept saying. That's but probably I that's, why. that's probably the best in movie explanation for why the boss turns. But the real explanation, as we all know, is because the movie needed him to. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bizarre. I I I was I was thinking about it. I was like, this guy who is in the truck. There's honestly, you're being attacked right now. By this gang of street racers, right? Who are apparently basically the Mission Impossible team at this point in time, right? Um, why would you suddenly turn on your best operative? <laughs> like, it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And, like, why did, why did Charlize Theron in particular need to turn on Jacob Toretto? Did they have some sort of beef? Like, I don't get it. Nope. <laughs> nope. No beef. <laughs> Nothing there. They've never seen each other before this movie. It was completely and utterly random. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was just very, very frustrating to see all this random shit happen uh, in, in this movie. And uh, as if, as if the, you know, the, if you compare this to something like, like to, to Fast Five. It's very, it's almost impossible to 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 understand that they could be in the same franchise. You know, I, I understand like the, the the franchise is a lot further away, is a, a long, long way from where it started. The first movie was basically Point Break with cars instead of surfing. Um, and by the time we get to Fast Five, they're, they're you know, super criminals. It was basically Ocean's Eleven with cars. But Fast Five is such a, in its own way, such a beautifully constructed film. Uh, and to see, the, to see this, is it, it just feels like such an insult to the to the legacy of this franchise. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it's like watching people piss on their own work. Yeah, look, I mean, at this point, they, they really are. Like, there were points of this film where I was like, this feels like... You know, there's that sort of Michael Bay-style explosion pornography where it's just like stuff is happening all the time, right? Like, this film felt like a Transformers film, not because there were giant robots, but because stuff was exploding all the time. There was action all the time, but none of it made sense. There were huge plot non sequiturs. It's just like, yeah. Anyway, it, look, I, I think like there isn't there there is a part of me that is kind of like 
these filmmakers were just like, now shut up, just enjoy your reaction, and enjoy this slop. Keep eating it. Keep eating it. Don't think about it. Just keep eating this slop. But, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, um... Is there anything else we want to talk about, Jerry? Any any last words? Oh no, oh no! This this movie this movie has dragged me of words. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 capacity to be articulate about this movie is just uh, has diminished to the point of nothingness because it, 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 it's such a it's such an enervating experience to contemplate. What a complete mess this movie has made of this sparkling gem of a franchise. I, 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 I am without words. Well, look, on, on a meta level, one of the things that I struggle with now is that we have basically not been positive about anything we have seen for a long time now, right, on this podcast. And I'm starting to worry that... Are our standards getting too high? Or is it actually... I, I, I have no idea. Like, part of me is like, maybe maybe I've just, like, become a hater, right? Like, I no longer have the capacity to enjoy films, right? I need to watch something that I genuinely love because I'm sick of just hating on everything I see. What it is is this. Hollywood, deciding that it's got to chase the Chinese dollar has decided to dumb the fuck out of everything. Yeah, look. I mean, this was this was released in China, right? Yeah, because I remember John Cena had to re- apologize to China over something or rather, right? Like, I can't even remember. But... Starting, starting with oh, Transformers 4, Hollywood has dumbed movies down. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the, the phenomenon of the tentpole movie eating Hollywood is at least a two-decade-old phenomenon, but yeah, about 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 uh, eight to ten years ago, there was they you know the big studios realised there was this huge untapped market, which was alien, which they couldn't quite penetrate, which wasn't English speaking. Uh, but which they were convinced uh, would at least respond to the lowest common denominator, dumb visceral thrills. And so that's what the product is now. That's the level at which it is all pitched. Uh, and so, and so, bearing in mind the sort of marketing span that you have to that you have to embark upon just to get a movie distributed globally. Um, and the sort of budgets that are being commanded by every by by you know by the street well but being being commanded by these big productions, you can understand why they want to chase after the Chinese dollar. But the, the result I think is that you have basically you know whilst bean counters have always been a big part of the movie making process, they now control the process to such an extent that the quality of the product uh, is just being driven completely south. Well, look, I mean, we'll we'll see, right? So I guess, you know, we're in lockdown, so what else are we going to do but consume entertainment? But, um, yeah, hopefully, 
hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be able to watch something soon um, that we'll actually enjoy. And if we can't... Sorry? Harry Potter, remember? Yeah, exactly. So, as I was going to say, if, if we can't find something that is current, we'll have to, like, go back to I the past. All we enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, on current trends, you'd have to say, things are not looking... Things are not looking promising. Things are certainly not looking for, promising for the next James Bond movie, and things may not be looking particularly promising for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Yeah, yeah, agreed. That's June. June. That might be. Yeah, but that's going to be a film that loses money. <laughs> like that'll oh. that'll lose money, right? So they'll make a good film and it'll lose money, and they'll be like, "Forget these people who make good films." So someone, someone at Warner Brothers has decided to roll the dice on his own career <laughs> by greenlighting Dune, and and he is whoever that whoever that executive is. He's not going to have a job come December. But he'll, he'll be a freaking hero if it's a good film. Like, if it's a good film that I like, I don't... Yo, I'll appreciate his sacrifice. I will light a candle for Winston. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But we don't know if it's going to be a good film yet, so we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Um, I think we're done talking about Fast 9. F9, the Fast Saga. Am I accurate? Does anyone want to add anything else? Yeah. Okay. So, thank you podcast family <laughs> for joining me today um we'll be back soon with something hopefully a good film to talk about so thanks so much for joining us for the podcast tonight and say goodbye everyone bye ciao